Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Ever since being a kid, I always... You know, I just thought I'll grow up and be a millionaire. Like that was that was set in my mind, and I thought at the time that it would be through a job of some sort. This is Property Investory, where we talk to successful property investors to find out more about their stories, mindset, and strategies. I'm Taran Chum and in this episode, we're speaking with property investor and renovator Karina Sell to talk more about her interesting start in property, the out-of-the-box way she sealed the deals on properties and how she found a passion in creating not only homes or properties that provide an income but also provide her tenants with a community. Investing and renovating in regional units, much of Sell's property journey takes a different approach to your normal buy and hold or flip and sell investing strategies. I do a lot of property uh, with most of my time and I also do some stuff with small as a new big. Um, So yeah, that's me and I guess uh, what I'm up to is I renovate regional units and I'm into boarding houses, rooming houses and leasing rooms that you can lease out by the room. She adds that because of this, no two days are the same. Every day involving both reactive and proactive responses in regards to property projects. Every day looks a little bit different to the next. Um, So some of it is reactive, following up to trying to put tenants into bedrooms, trying to respond to maintenance requests on units. Sometimes I'm working on a reno. Um, There's a proactive part, which is where I'm actually going and um, getting stuff sorted and trying to move deals that I've got along or searching for new ones, talking to joint venture partners. And then there's a bit with smaller than you big where I'm actually um, helping with enrolments and helping with uh, stuff with them as well. Growing up in a small suburb in Victoria, Sel describes how her early childhood lifestyle was much different from her current one now. A nice little suburb called Noble Park. <laughs> so, uh, uh, it's in Victoria and um, it's almost considered, uh, you know, nearly the ghetto. It's not, uh, let's just say it's not um, a high-end suburb. It has changed a lot now, um, but certainly at the time I grew up in it, it wasn't uh, sought after suburb at all anyway. It's completely different now. So, I grew up in, in Victoria. Um, I'm now in Sydney. Um, I grew up... Uh, you know, around a lot of poverty, we always, you know, were struggling to come up with money. We had, you know, debt collectors at our doors, um, moved out of home at 15 and, um, you know, was making it on my own. Um, at 16, I was renting my first place uh, through some government support. Um, now I'm in Sydney, I'm in Rose Bay living in a penthouse, um, you know, a minute from the beach. So very different now. Having to experience the unfortunate passing of her mother, 
Sel's living conditions as a young child changed before she ultimately decided to move out and live on her own and continue her education. I did a primary school, went to high school. Um, when I was 15, I actually lost my mum. Um, I grew up, my mum was a sole parent pensioner, so it was me and my sister. Um, so I had to change schools. I went and moved in with my dad in Geelong, so the opposite end of Victoria. And um, that lasted a year. I wasn't happy around the friends and stuff there. Um, my dad and I now have a great relationship, but at that time it wasn't amazing. And, um, yeah, I chose to move out of home, move back to Victoria. Sorry, move back to uh, end up living in Dandenong so that I could go back to the school with my friends. And, um, yeah, I um, living out of home <laughs> credit card debt. I don't know why they gave a, I think I was 16 when I got a credit card. I don't know why they gave one to a 16-year-old with no job at the time, but they did. And um, I managed to get through uh, year 11 and year 12 um, like that. And I did a year of university in psychology. Having to survive on her own at such a young age, Sel delves into challenges she had to face and what pushed her to achieve the mindset that brought her to where she is now. Self-motivation was, uh, I can't say I've mastered it completely, but it was one that I did have to get there. I just had this burning desire to finish school. Um, I guess ever from, uh, ever since being a kid, I always, you know, I just thought I'll grow up and be a millionaire. Like that was, that was set in my mind. And I thought at the time that it would be through a job of some sort. So, um, you know, I had, um, you know, a flatmate that started dating a drug dealer, all sorts of stuff in the house that no kid at that age should be exposed to. And um, I could have easily touched it myself and I just kept going, no, if I do that, I'm not going to get there. And I, I just kept myself very, very focused on the goal of finishing my year 12. Um, I guess other things was money. Like it just, uh, I was on Centrelink payments coming through and, um, uh, you know, realising uh, that I had a budget, but the money coming in didn't cover you know, it wasn't enough to cover the money going out. So I was working part-time while I was at school and, you know, learning. I'd love to say I learned to prioritise. I'm not necessarily amazing at that now anyway, but I learned to I learned to get by. I learned how to get the probably the 20% done that's going to cause 80% of the results. By surrounding herself with like-minded people and realising the life she had was not one she wanted, Sel was able to stay focused on achieving her future goals of financial security. I think it was um, just having that lack of money around um, so consistently that made me want something else. Now, I'm not saying when I grew up, it only was when friends told me I was broke that I realised I was. Like I never felt like we wanted, I knew my mum was stressing about bills but I didn't know you know, that was just life. That was what I was used to. Um, but I think when I really, when it really hit me, what I didn't have, I just, I think it was just completely self-driven to to get there at that moment in time. Um, I was lucky that I was in an accelerated learning program at school. Um, so the friends that I had around me were all really dedicated to their education and to, you know, being able to get themselves into, you know, the jobs and the future that they wanted. Um, so, I guess we kind of were nearly a, a tribe of people that all, you know, knew we wanted something more. So, there was some support there, even though we were on completely different journeys. Um, there was a lot of 
I don't know, a, a lot of common ground there as well. Prior to getting started in a property journey, Sel had a number of past jobs on her resume and a variety of experience under her belt. My friends made a, a um, poem up about me on my 21st birthday about all the jobs I'd had. Um, <laughs> I pretty much stayed in anything until it, it didn't serve me. And so I worked at a shoe shop, I worked at Hungry Jacks, I worked in formal wear, um, I worked in a call centre. Um, pretty much just everything seemed to last about a year, but just support in the background to keep me, uh, you know, to keep some surplus income coming in. It was after these jobs and after leaving university that Cell fell into a sales job that led to another job that eventually changed her whole outlook on how to utilize money. Once I left uni, I uh, well, I wasn't planning to leave uni. I was planning to do the whole three years of psychology um, and possibly even move on to doctorate. And uh, I just kept thinking, you know, I'm studying this stuff and I'm fascinated by psychology. I'm fascinated by behaviors in the brain. But I just looked at the end outcome. And I'm like, I don't know if I actually want to be a psychologist. I certainly don't want to be a counselling psychologist. And then, you know, I was just starting to question what this path was about. And over the holidays, I fell into one of those uh, jobs where they don't tell you what you're going to be doing. You show up at the office, they drive you to a shopping centre. And I was one of those girls in the shopping centres trying to get you to sponsor a kid. Um, So I cut my teeth on sales in that and um, basically ended up with a team underneath me that I was training up and, you know, it was really exciting and I realised, well, this is too good an opportunity to go back to uni. And then eventually, you know, they got a bit old and tired, all the travelling, the hours, it was crazy and I fell into recruitment and I landed a new job and I went, okay, well, I'm in a new job now. Um, they were flying me up for training in Queensland. I went, I want to be all businessy. So I went to their business section and I bought a business book and um, that was Rich Dad Poor Dad. <laughs> and I could not put it down the whole flight. By the time I landed, I just had this little sick feeling in my belly of, I'm going into a job. Like, what am I doing? Um, on the lunch breaks, I was sneaking out and reading the book like I was obsessed with it and I registered about everything in the series and it just made me go well like I don't I shouldn't be working for money money can work for me and so that was a pivotal turning point for me that's great and do you remember what year that was I would have been so I'm 32 now and I would have been maybe 24 or 25 Despite being inspired to make money work for her after reading Rich Dad, Poor Dad, Cell explains how fear held her back and what she did to further educate herself in the property sphere. It took me a while actually. So, I um, I read the book and then I had a bit of a look around. I had a lot of fear come up. I couldn't see how this actually made sense in Australia. Um, so, uh, no, I just started attending lots of different uh, property seminars and even share trading and different things but property was the one that resonated with me the most. After staying in the recruitment industry, while also building up her property knowledge, Cell ended up in the seminar industry which assisted with her education. I did a, another year in it. I, I loved it. Uh, so I didn't love it. Um, but then I fell into the seminar industry and started promoting speakers. I was a, a salesperson there. So I'd get to travel and see different speakers and um, I'd get to sell their programs as well. With so much knowledge under her belt and a little money in her bank account, Sol finally decided to jump into the property market. 
However, doing so on rather out of the box conditions. Well, I don't know a heap of education, and then I still didn't have much cash behind me. So I had thirteen thousand dollars in my bank account, and I managed to save that up. And I was going, well, what do I do? Like everyone says, go and you know save until you've got a at least a five percent deposit. Some people say twenty percent, and I was thinking, you know, what what do I do? I can't do property. I don't have enough money. Yet I'm selling all these courses, and some of these people are showing you how to do stuff with no money. And people want to join programs, and I'm saying to them, "Well, if you don't have any money, just do a no money down strategy." And I wasn't taking my own advice, <laughs> so um, eventually it just hit me, and I I found a place in Notting Hill, and uh, I still remember it was uh, $565,000, and there was a brand new agent. He was new to the industry, and I said to him. I'm giving you an offer for full asking price and I think you nearly had a heart attack. And then I said to him, but there's a couple of terms here. Um, I don't actually want to pay for it for two years. He goes, okay, how is this going to work? And um, I said, look, I'll give $20,000 now. That's my $13,000 in savings. And at that time in Victoria, there was a $7,000 first homeowner's grant. Um, The owner agreed. Um, so I put my $20,000 in. I also had the clause that I could move into the property immediately, um, that I could make some minor changes to the property um, and that I could sublease the rooms out in it as well. So I packed up, moved in and um, had my own place. But how exactly did she get the owners to agree to that contract? Well, what it was was they had a – at the time, Victoria was a flat market and look, I got lucky. I swear the day after I moved in, the market just shot off and you know, it was great for me. Um, but, you know, they've been sitting in a market that had been flat for years and years and years. And look, we're going to move into a flat market soon. I think that these sorts of opportunities, um, you know, start to come about a lot more in this style of market we're moving towards now. Um, however, it had sat there. It had done nothing. It hadn't moved. They had a price on it. They wanted to get it. And um, the other thing I put put into the clause was I would pay rent and I would pay, I think it was about 100 bucks, or maybe it was $50 more than what their current tenants would. <laughs> so, for them, it was as if they, they knew they were locking in their high price that was a bit above market. They knew that they were going to get consistent rent and it was actually going to be better. So, from day one, they were in a better situation. Um, now, that $20,000, only I think two grand went to them. The other 18 paid the agents. So, the agent was happy with the deal because he was getting paid straight away. While all of her conditions were agreed upon, Cell adds that a few clauses were given to her as well. Basically, um, they came up with a few clauses. So, six months later, I needed to provide them another 20. And six months after that, I, I need to provide them another 20. And at the time, I was earning really good money. I was in a commission-only role and I thought, yep, easy. That's no problem. I can do that. Um, so, basically, I got six months down the track and I didn't have the 20 grand. Okay. Um, I was able to negotiate to pay them seven and the rest at the end. <laughs> um, when it came to the next 12... Despite her initial belief that she could meet these conditions, Cell adds that by the time one year was up, her mindset had fell off track. So, the payment due 12 months down this track, 
my mindset was in a bad place. I was starting to go through all the, you know, I don't deserve, I'm not meant to own property, all that sort of stuff. And so what happened then was um, I was in my commission-only role and instead of earning heaps and heaps of money, the last six months from the job, I'd only earned uh, $10,000. I had this habit because it's commission-only and, you know, about every three months you have a really crazy, ridiculously good month. Then you might have an average one. Then you have a pretty much empty one. And it was okay to spend a bit on a credit card because you pay it off before the interest rate um, period kicked in. Um, yeah, I had a heap of credit card debt and I had no income to show the bank how I'd be able to settle. So the whole idea in this was two years down the track, I was going to be able to walk into the bank, show them the improvements I made to the property, show them my serviceability and say, okay, well, the property is now worth more than I paid and um, because I've renovated it, give me the finance. But it didn't quite work like that. So, um, yeah, I'm 12 months in and I'm just starting to freak out going, okay, not only am I running the risk of losing this house, potentially being sued, although probably not because the market had gone up, but I'm also, um, you know, I'm sitting here with credit card debt. If I lose the house, this credit card debt's for nothing. And, you know, crazy interest rates, all sorts of stuff happening there. And I just went, well, what do I do? Like the only way to fix this is to get a steady income. Coming up after the break, we'll find out how Sel was able to keep her property and get her back on track. And I end up having an interview with them and they said, yep, you've got the job but it doesn't start for six months. The amazing aha moment that cemented property as the investing vehicle for her. I've got all the tools that I need to create a community and to change the environment of where people live. And that's next. I'm Tyrone Shum and you're listening to Property Invest Story. Hey podcast listeners, have you got cash or equity that is currently unused sitting in a bank account that could be invested into a property asset to generate a greater return? If the answer is yes, then register your interest to become a money partner at propertyinveststory.com. When you become a money partner with me, it enables you to receive opportunities to get a minimum of 20% plus returns on your cash or equity. To find out more, visit propertyinveststory.com. Now back to the show. Utilizing her recruitment skills, Sel decided to search for a job that would provide a steady income that would get her back on track. So being an ex-recruiter, I started, uh, I was in sales recruitment for most of that time too. I started just calling sales managers and I called them up and uh, wanted to be still related to property. So called up all these different companies uh, that are in building products and um, I ended up calling a couple of lift companies and um, they pay pretty well and I end up having an interview with them and they said, yep, you've got the job but it doesn't start for six months. And I said, well, that doesn't work. I'm going to lose this house if I've got to wait for six months. And um, we had a six-month trial period as well once you did start. And so uh, the banks would want to see, you know, that you've got through your trial period. And then he said at the end of the call, oh, unless you want to take the job in Sydney, which is available right now. And I just said, yes, I packed up my life and I moved to Sydney. It was this sudden and last-minute move that changed Sel's life. 
it was scary, but I'd always wanted to, you know, do a year away. And in my head, I was only going for a year. Um, so I kept thinking, you know what, I'll, I'll go for a year. I'll, you know, create myself as who I want to be out there. I'll get to know all these new people. And, you know, it's not too hard to move back. Um, however, I didn't love the job, um, but I did get my finance. Um, the property had gone up in value Um, and that's tax-free income when I sold it because it was my PPR. Um, And uh, I just fell in love with Sydney, Um, fell in love with the peer group. I put myself all around property investors. Um, It was so long before I actually had any friends outside of my work colleagues that weren't property investors, Um, just solely because I'd go to meet-up after meet-up and, you know, really got a great group of people around me. While in hindsight, Sel shares that she would have changed aspects of her first property deal, she believes it taught her a lot about property. Well, I do think it taught me a bit about, you know, what loss can be because when you are young and you're investing and, you know, you don't have stuff behind you, it's very easy to go into things and, you know, not really understand risk. And I think this really taught it to me. And I had so many, you know, sleepless nights, nights where I'd have to just get up, get in my car, listen to some music, um, calm myself down because I really did think for so long that I was going to lose that. And um, I think that helps me have better judgment going into future deals. Um, And I think it has lowered my risk tolerance. I would still do that deal again um, or something like it. But the 20 grand and 20 grand, um, you know, the next two payments uh, wouldn't have sat like that. And the other thing is like if I'd been trying to save money in my bank account, the speed that prices shot up in property in Melbourne was just ridiculous. Like I would have never got in the market. I'd still be waiting now. Instead, I was able to close that off with, you know, 100 grand went towards some uh, bad debts and all that sort of stuff and 200 grand in my pocket. Like it was just a, a no-brainer. With so much experience in property, Sel shares the important aspects one needs to understand before investing and the strategies she keeps in mind to minimize risk. A bit of a lack of knowledge, like really understanding that um, you don't want to see every deal in rose-tinted glasses but you also, you know, sometimes it's kind of a mix between not being too optimistic but also feeling the fear and jumping anyway. Um, I think there's got to be a healthy mix on both sides of that. And so what I do with every deal I jump into now is I have exit strategies. So I have, okay, if I'm going into this deal, um, my number one plan might be to settle on it and it's all, everything's fine. Number two might be to sell it. Number three might be to bring a uh, finance uh, company into that that can lend me money at 15%. Um, number four might be to bring a joint venture partner into it. Um, number five might be you know something else, but basically having um, exit strategies and heaps of them so that you know if there is risk in the deal, you're mitigating it by knowing, okay, well, if it doesn't go to plan, what's the next plan I've got lined up? And if you can't get a couple of exit strategies on something, um, then I don't think it's the, the right strategy for you um, unless there is very limited um, downside on it if you're going in with standard finance and, you know, if it's not going to stop you from moving forward if something goes wrong. Um, but if it will stop you from moving forward if something goes wrong, I think you need a few things in place. Thinking back to her past investments, Sel explains why the first property she bought was what she considered one of her worst investing moments. 
I would say that is the lowest of the low. It was literally the, you know, laying in bed, not being able to sleep. I, I actually thought I was going to lose it. And, um, you know, I there was anxiety every single day. I wasn't thinking straight. My family were really worried. Um, you know, it, that was that would be the, the low point of it. Yes, it worked out in the end and, um, you know, pretty much everything I've touched has worked out in the end or is still in the process and hopefully will work out in the end. Um, but that there was that period of time where it was, oh, my God, I've just completely ruined my finances. How will I ever recover from that? And, um, yeah, it, it was a very tough time. On the opposite end of the spectrum, Sel talks about the moment that changed her perspective on what property could do for her and others. This would be a block of eight uh, units that I've got in Gundawindi. Um, basically, I was um, in negotiation to pick these up for, oh, it would have been probably 12 months. Um, basically, there was an owner that had fixed an interest rate and I was at 8.9%. They fixed it for 10 years and there was still uh, 12 or 18 months left uh, to that fixed term uh, period. Um, if it were to be sold, they'd have to pay $70,000 break fee. So they're in a bit of trouble there with this specific deal. Um, in addition to that, it was bright yellow. Um, it was run down. Only three of the eight units were tenanted. Um, there was a lot of maintenance that hadn't been done. And um, I guess there's a good 12-month negotiation period where when I look back on it now, I probably could have made it work in three months. But there was a lot of fear on my side. So every time it was coming together and looking like it was going to work, I'd think of another reason why it might not. And um, it really took um, uh, – I entered a competition to share my story and it literally took having – a strict time frame on the line of, you know what, if I haven't completed this, then I don't really have much of a story to share. And I'm about to speak on stage in front of, I think, 700 people. Um, so it was really in the month leading up to that where all the magic happened. Um, I just had this, you know, this urgency to make it happen. I started to say, um, you know, I've got everyone enrolled in the process. I said, okay, well, you know, if you can make it work, my lawyer, I'll give you an extra $1,000. Um, if you can make it work uh, by this date, um, I'll, I'll give this person an extra $1,000. And it just, you know, basically acting like there was no other option except to get it. And that pushed across the line. Whereas that was not the same energy I was acting with for the first probably 11 months of that negotiation. While at the moment, demand for one of the units is generally high, Sel shares that this wasn't always the case. I think there, there was a tenant moving out, but I'm finding that now, um, generally speaking, a tenant moves out and we had one move in the same day. Um, you know, the urgency is there. Um, basically, what this one needed was to be clean, neat, working air conditioner, you know, somewhere that at least on the inside, someone could live there and, you know, feel happy with their home. Um, that was the first point to it. The next bit was getting some um, getting some faith in it in the community because this one had um, had had drug dealers in it. It had had you know the worst tenants you could imagine in some of them, and you know uh, I was told it was a really good area, but no one wants to live in it because of the reputation it had. In fact, the whole town had a nickname for it. They you know if you said the nickname. 
everyone in town knows what it is. Um, it was the worst property in the area probably. Um, so the first step was making it look nice inside. The second was getting faith, which I did by, um, you know, advertising a lot on Facebook and different locations for tenants and picking up a couple of tenants from outside of town to start with. So people moving from Melbourne or Sydney um, to the area. And then what happens is people say, oh, I can't believe you're living there. That's horrible. And they go, no, it's not. And um, suddenly, before I'd even touched the outside with a paintbrush, the whole town was starting to say the reputation had changed. Describing the general feel of the town, Cell shares the aspects that made it a good area to start renovating, despite these stigmas. It's a cotton town. Um, it's got... Um, it's got grains, it's got, um, I guess it's got a lot of heart in the community more than anything. Um, what I've noticed here is just how much everyone has got each other's back. There's a lot of um, retail shops in there. Um, there's a lot of farming around and all that sort of stuff. Um, it is quite affluent um, in you know with some of the people there anyway, so it's always held a lot of money in it. Um, and it's just, uh, it's on the border of uh, New South Wales and uh, Queensland. So if you're doing a pretty much straightforward trip from Sydney to Brisbane, you're likely to drive through it unless you drive along the coast. But the faster way is to drive through Gundy. Um, so a lot of people use it as a stopover as well. Um, but it's certainly not a high demand of, you know, it's certainly not the short-term tenants that I'm looking at. It is the long-term ones. But how did she actually come across such a property in Opportunity? I actually called an agent because he had a set of units in Victoria that looked like they made a lot of sense. And I called him up and he said, sorry, they're already sold. And I said, well, look, this is what I'm looking for. I'd love something preferably a bit more run down, something where I can add value. I'm not interested in standard yields. You know, I want to get something good. And uh, he said, look, I'm not even from Melbourne, so I don't think I can help you. I said, that's okay. I'm not even from Melbourne. And so we got chatting. We both used to live there. And um, I said, look, I'm, there's actually nowhere I'm restricted by. If you can find me a block of units that matches this criteria, I just want you to call me. And he said, look, I don't have anything. Um, but we had a really good chat and, you know, built a lot of rapport. He was a lovely guy and, you know, we got along a lot. So the next day he actually called me up and said, you know what? This isn't even on my books. It's not my uh, property. But I do have a friend who uh, has a block of eight units. Have you ever heard of a suburb called Gundawindi? And um, I said, no, but I'll, I'll go do some research. He goes, it might not be what you're after, but have a look. And then I looked it up and the more I did the numbers on it, the more it just made sense. So um, basically, I didn't look for location first, but I knew the style of deal I wanted and, um, you know, I ended up driving up to Gundy. I, you know, went to the police office and asked them about crime rates and how my property was doing. I went to the um, the information centre for tourism and spoke to them about what's in Gundy and what you can do there. I knocked on all the neighbours' doors of this property and asked them about how crime rate had been. Um, I went into the council and met um, the CEO there and spoke to him a bit about um, the property and just basically forced myself to speak to as many people as I could while I was up there to really understand what the community was like and also did the numbers part of things as well. 
She explains that the lead up to renovating the property and how she was able to increase the rental price by making changes to the units. People were looking at this particular project, but it was quite a messy one. So, you know, they're probably hoping someone will come about and, and pay, you know, the pay a higher amount, buy it off them now, make it easy. Um, however, I negotiated quite complicated terms because that's what I do. <laughs> and um, I basically negotiated to take it over, pay the seller's mortgage for them, um, pay a small deposit that caught some things up to date and basically uh, take it over, make all the outgoing payments on their behalf, but keep all the ingoing payments. So I actually went in and renovated this block of units one by one, um, started with the empty ones and renovated one, um, you know, new kitchen, new floor, painted all the walls, not yellow anymore, um, made it pretty, put white goods in it and then um, leased it out and I was able to lift um, everything from 160 a week up to 240 a week by having a complete product, um, even when it was still bright yellow on the outside and ugly. It was during this process of renovation that Cell made two realizations that led to the ultimate aha moment and allowed her to realize the success behind this property. The first one was the, um, you know, just the speed, you know, when you really want something, go for it. Like don't, if you, it's really easy to think you're doing all the actions to get something. But it was really when I went, no, I have to make this work in the next month, no questions asked, that it really happened. But the second is what happened next. So once I had, um, you know, a couple of out-of-towners in there, I started to look at the existing um, empty ones and the existing community. And what we, or what I actually did was um, got a real mix of tenants. So rather than, you know, if you put all young mums in a complex, you start to create a certain vibe. If you put all people with a disability in a complex, you start to create a vulnerable community. What um, what I'd learnt was how to create almost a they call it circle of life living or Ian uh, Yakade from Smalls and New Big talks about it, but basically building a community within there. So I ended up um, and look at changes as tenants move and all that goes, but I had two young mums um, in units there. I had um, two older women, uh, one was a grandma, and what would start to happen is one of the young mums, when she needed to go to the shops, she'd leave her kid with the grandma and the grandma would have her grandkids over and they'd all play. So she suddenly had a babysitter if she needed that. Um, we had someone that had a disability and um, looked to the outside world seemed quite uh, confronting but when you got to know him not at all so what happened was he now had a home he now had people around him that you know knew his behaviors knew what he was like and would absolutely protect him if he needed it um, we had backpackers in one who you know, had people that were able to show them around town and make them feel welcome while they were there for their six months stay um, they've only just moved out we had um, a young guy who I found out was helping some of the others changing their light globes when <laughs> their light globes went. Um, so just creating that circle of life living uh, where people, you know, people are communicating with other people. People are starting to create a real, you know, family sort of culture there. They'll hang out, you know, they've all got their own individual unit, but they'll hang out and have a chat. It's like the old days, they, you know, you know your neighbours. Everyone knows who who lives around them and just going, you know what, I've 
I've got all the tools that I need to create a community and to change the environment of where people live. And, um, you know, I've had the mayor come up and and tell me that, you know, he thinks it's a great job what I've done. Um, We eventually changed the outside from being yellow and got it all looking modern. But those comments were coming before any of that happened. Um, You know, it's just, it's made the street a better place, a much safer place to be. So, inspired by Karina Sell's journey and an amazing aha moment, we'll keep the conversation going in a future episode of Property Investory. We'll discuss her strategy. The other thing I do is, again, not with property that I own, and that is um, I, in New South Wales, rent larger houses and um, basically lease them out by the room. The personal habits which have been contributing to her success. My biggest one is visualization. One thing that I I'd say I'm pretty good at is I visualize my goals and I do it a lot to the point that I'll nearly cry over it, like I'll start to tear up. And that's next time in a future episode of Property Investory. Also, have you got cash or equity that is currently unused sitting in a bank account that could be invested into a property asset to generate a greater return? If the answer is yes, then register interest to become a money partner by SMSing me your email address on 499 88 10 40. When you become a money partner with me, it enables you to receive opportunities to get a minimum of 20% plus returns on your cash or equity. To find out more, text me your email address on 0499 88 10 40. Thanks for listening.